You are listening to the episode 7 of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empower you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. I'm Francine Belay, your host, and I'm thrilled to have you here with me today. Are you at a point in life where you are looking for more meaning in your work and in your life, make more money and lead a movement to change the world? Let's have a chat. Go to www.francinebelay.com slash podcast. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I dot com slash podcast and click on request a call button for more information. My guest today is Sophie Bryan, a cultural change expert, TEDx speaker, a writer, a trainer, and an action learning coach. In this conversation, Sophie explains how she discovered her calling and decided to focus her work on cultural change. She talks also about how to transform a traditional organization into a more innovative one, how to win hearts and minds instead of just training people to adapt to change and also how you can transition from a corporate job to a more entrepreneurial work. Sophie believes that we can use the Montessori teaching element of freedom, curiosity and play both in our work and in our life to live a more fulfilled life. Ready for this insightful conversation? Let's dive in. Hi, Sophie. Thank Hello, you for being here on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be sharing with you my my views and my experience on um, a meaningful life. I'm really interested to see uh, kind of where this where this discussion goes. Actually, okay, me too. I'm so excited. So, tell me to start. What actually is an action learning coach? An action learning coach. Well, okay, so. Action learning is a way of taking problems and through questioning, digging really deep to really truly understand the problem. So my role as a coach is to go into organisations and help them with their really key burning, urgent issues Mm. and delve deeper through questioning to help them understand, is that really the problem they're facing or is there something underneath? Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, the problem they re- they you know they initially think they're facing isn't the real problem, mm-hmm. and that that gives real clarity in terms of what their strategy needs to be moving forward. And it's a really fantastic experience as a coach to help these groups of people come to that realization. How do you move from a traditional organization to an innovative one? I think the biggest thing for me is making innovation part of your culture and I think there are lots of lots of organizations I've worked with and I am working with at the moment that regard innovation as one of their key values but when I actually then get into the organization I don't really see a lot of that happening and that's for several different reasons and this is kind of the formula (laughs) in terms of how you do that is that you take that value of innovation you put it right at the core of your business and you say okay what does innovation look like in terms of our recruitment process? How are we recruiting innovative people? 
how are we inducting these people into our organisation for them, them to understand our innovative philosophy? How do we then go about performance management with an innovation um, value in mind? What about our working practices? Do we have policies and procedures that actually stifle innovation or do we have a way of working that allows people to work more freely and more autonomously, which allows creativity and innovation to happen? And I think one of the big things for me is I can tell when I walk into an organisation just by the way the organisation is structured, its its physical presence, what does its office look like, what what energy is there in the office space mm. will give me an indication as to how innovative they are. And mm. um, Francine, I don't know about you, but whether you've walked into organisations where you know they've got, they say they have an open door policy, yet everybody's kind of working in silos and no one's talking to each other, and people walking down the corridor looking at the ground and not smiling <laughs> at people. Um, oh. Those kind of environments where you think, okay, innovation isn't happening here because it doesn't feel like there is a sense of um, community or creative or even an element of freedom I guess for people yeah. to be able to explore um, innovation within their roles so when I say that formula the formula really is about putting that that particular value whether it's innovation or something else that your organization prides yourself on yeah. the very core of your organization and question every single practice every single communication that you have and say are we exhibiting that right now and if we're not, how do we change that? Yeah. Out of 100, let's say out of 100 of organizations who use this kind of innovative uh, workplace, mm. how many do you think are really innovative out of those 100? Oh, it would be a very, very low number. A very <laughs> And because I think at the moment... One, di- one digit number? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I definitely think less than 10% probably. Although I guess, that, you know, um, I'm speaking from um, my customer base, mm-hmm. um, which is very much um, based in the UK. But I dare say if we were to go and take a look at Silicon Valley and some of the work that's being done there on the tech front, it would be a very, very different answer for me. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm kind of giving a, a biased answer, but certainly the industries that I'm working in, yeah. um, public sector, charities, university, education. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also done some stuff in the private sector as well, but in that particular sector, um, I don't really feel like innovation is truly understood. And I think if it was understood, then it would be slightly more of a priority for them that that caused their business. Yeah. Tell me, why have you decided to focus your work on cultural change? Because I've worked in human resources for the past 17 years and it's become a frustration of mine, I guess, that whenever there was some kind of project that was going on or there was a new piece of regulation that came in or a new product that had been announced, um, It was just a matter of, okay, we're going to tell you about it and we're going to train you on it. And that was it. And I didn't get a feeling that when we produce new policies and procedures or a new product came out, that just training some, telling somebody about it and then training them on that particular thing wasn't enough because it's not, it's not really grasping the heart of the organization or the heart of the people that work for you. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, what, what needs to change here and for me that's where the cultural change piece comes in mm-hmm. because I think it's great to have these you know these policies and procedures and the training happening and, and I'm a trainer myself so that's very much an important part to me but there's a follow-on piece that needs to happen after that so once you've released these particular things and you've run the training and you've got this core message out there it goes back to that whole embedding thing 
Mm-hmm. And putting it right at the core of what you do. And I think it, sometimes when you're releasing something new to the workforce or to your customer base, it becomes a bit of a tick box exercise. Yes, we've told we've told our internal people, we've told our external people, we've trained them, now the job's done. And it doesn't work like that. Not if you're going to win hearts and minds of people. It needs to go a lot deeper. So that's where I then decided there's a big gap here that people are missing. Um, and that's what I wanted to, to kind of base my future career and my business on. And how did you do that practically? Uh, practically, How did you go about finding your call actually into really designing what actually you are doing today? Actually, what were some of the steps that you took? Well, it's weird because I started in human resources when mm. I was 17 and I always knew, I mean, I knew I had to get to a certain point, but I always knew I wanted to run my own business. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of taking this step-by-step approach thinking, okay, um, here's the criteria I feel I need to meet in order to become credible in running my own HR business. And as I as I got my qualifications and accreditations and won various awards, I kept checking myself and saying, right, is now the right time, is now the right time? What the biggest calling wasn't for me was when I realised what was making me happy and what was making me unhappy. And what was making me the happiest was being integral to advising and coaching people on how to go about making change. And that could be in any in any sphere. I mean, even in my personal life, that's the kind of thing I enjoy doing is, is helping people and helping people transform themselves, even within my friends and my family. Yeah. And that's when it doesn't feel like work. And that's when you know it's your calling, I think. When yeah. when it doesn't feel like work and you take so much pleasure in something and you know, you, you walk away from a conversation like this with you, Francine, you think, Wow, I really enjoyed that. I wish I could do that every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found I found that process. I, I kind of was was yearning for that as I went through my career. And it was only when I started working in organisational development that that was where that jigsaw piece kind of fell into place for me. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. OK, so um, tell me, you are helping also people and organisation to become both externally and internally recognised. How mm. exactly you do that? You know, it's a really tough one because different organisations want to be recognised in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are lots of accreditations organisations can achieve from investors in people to mm-hmm. Prime's top 100 employers. Um, whereas other organisations just want to have their, their employer brand, brand recognised through their social media presence mm-hmm. and Want want all want people to want to work for them and say yeah I want to line I want to be lining up <laughs> banging on the door of this company and I want to work so it it varies depending on the person and the client that I'm working with but how exactly I do that goes back to um, one of the very first questions you asked me about the, the cultural change and using innovation for example putting that at the core that will always be my first mm-hmm. my first go-to piece because an organization that wants to become externally recognized for what it does has to 100% truly know who it is and its mm-hmm. staff have to know 100% why they are there why they do what they do and what the organization's mission is and I guess they're the three fundamental things that in order for them to achieve these different accreditations to get the social media recognition, to get their staff saying excellent things about them on um, review websites such as Glassdoor, 
that alignment of those those three things is absolutely essential mm-hmm. yeah that's good so sometimes i talk also to some people actually who tell me they rather stay anonymous for example and mm-hmm. do their work um and you know rather than actually being recognized and i'm wondering are they missing the points or of what actually recognition sometimes means or is it okay that some people actually just stay under the radar what do you think what's your perspective on this i think we've got i mean i hate to put people into two different camps but i think to answer this question it's the easiest way to do that you've either got your your introverted people who don't want to have a big fuss made about them don't want the bells and whistles don't want um, a massive celebration about the work that they're doing and there's the people that are more extroverted who who might want that type of recognition might want to have their name up and you know a plaque on the wall and a newsletter sent out about their work there, there are two different types here um, and that's not to say that you can't be a blend of both yes but, mm-hmm. but just to answer this question more simply so in the respect of the introvert um you don't need you don't need to have this badge of honor to be recognized and what recognition might mean for those particular people or even people that don't class themselves as introverts but um have a simple thank you is is very meaningful to somebody who doesn't feel their work is recognized mm. or a colleague that you admire or a role model that you look up to or you aspire to be like to come and say to you you know what, Sophie, that was a fantastic piece of work. Well done. That recognition is sometimes worth a lot more mm. than what um, being heralded, you know, employee of the month and, um, you know, getting various different awards. Sometimes it's the more simplistic recognition that actually means the most to people. Yeah. So um, for those people that don't want to get that badge of honour, um, I think there is there's no there's absolutely no excuse for people to not get recognition. It's just mm. you need to think about what is most meaningful. Yeah, that's true. That's totally true. Uh, because I think um, sometimes, um, yeah, people just need to be recognized, some, not with whistles and bells and, you know, a simple thank you or recognizing them can go a quite long way, actually. Um, I was also fascinated by your TED, TEDx talk, actually, which is uh, Cool Montessori Be the Answer to a Better Worker Base. Mm-hmm. Um, you said also that 80% of people are fully engaged at work. This means that 92% of people just go to work to make money or feel miserable at work. Um, so you talked about some uh, three uh, elements, freedom, curiosity, and play as key elements from this Montessori teaching. How can we actually use those same elements for us in general to help us live a more meaningful life? I really pondered on this question when I was developing my TED Talk. Mm. And the approach that I took with that, although it was it was really difficult to get that across in the 16 minutes that I had on stage. But you did it quite well because yeah. it caught my attention. <laughs> it was so I had to say, Francine. I could have gone on for another hour. Um, so it's great you've given me this platform to kind of explain in a bit more detail. Mm. Um, but for me, um, the freedom, the curiosity and the play kind of spans across three different areas for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very passionate thing for me within my um, parenting, my daughter, how we, how we raise children. I think there's a big element there of reflecting on um, do we give our children enough freedom to be able to truly express who they are? 
Mm. Um, do we give them enough space to become creative so they can really truly realize um, their skills and what what makes them tick going back to that um that feeling of that um knowing you found your calling yeah but with a child finding that connection of something that they feel really good at yeah um, and play and I think I think in today's society where we've become a lot more technically focused mm. um play is now becoming something that's quite digital Mm. And I think from a parenting perspective, um, I think play is so important from a kinesthetic reaction, picking up something and playing with it and feeling texture and um, absorbing the environment around you. So the parenting thing is is a real key thing for me, um, hence my interest um, in Montessori. Um, Secondly, education. Um, So when we talk about a meaningful life, I'm kind of taking this full circle, um, talking about parenting, talking about education and then talking about the workplace so in education I think there's also a lot more scope for the education system to reflect and think about the way we're educating children I think we have quite a command and control approach in the education system which is still very prevalent in the workplace as well Mm -hmm. but I feel maybe giving children and young adults a bit more of a voice as a student Mm -hmm. um, allowing them some freedom of expression to really, really feel like they can make decisions about their education rather than having it imposed on them. Um, The curiosity piece for me here is about coaching and asking questions. And I think quite often, um, and I'm not talking about any particular examples, this just just maybe my perception, Mm -hmm. um, is that we jump into telling young adults. (laughs) You know, we've got got this... um, wealth of experience we've been there we've done that and we're going to tell you this is how it is but actually having that curiosity to understand what's going on for that that young adult um understanding the decisions that they're making where that behaviors come from and then coaching them into a slightly different way of working could be a lot more impactful than this kind of command and control relationship Mm. Um, and then the play piece again it's more about if I give, um, for example, um, join a parallel for Montessori, um, children in a Montessori environment learn through play. Yeah. And so they can contextualise mathematical problems because they physically experienced it. And I think what's missing a lot in the education is that is that play piece, is, is children be able to find joy through their learning through play. Um and then the workplace piece, so going full circle, um, the freedom in the workplace is giving people more autonomy to make decisions about their job and how they do their job, mm-hmm. rather than being told, well, this is the way we do it, this is the way it's always been done, and I've been here 20 years and we tried that before and it never worked. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you could find that somebody is a lot more productive when you give them the autonomy and freedom to decide how best their work is arranged and how best they might work um the best place for them to work is the office the best place for them to work or actually is there another space that's more productive for them so giving them that sense of freedom um curiosity for me I'm on a bit of a campaign at the moment <laughs> abolish. I'm burning I love that yeah, I'm campaigning <laughs> about lots of things Francine but <laughs> is about the appraisal process uh-huh um, I feel the appraisal process within an organisation is very outdated now. Mm. And what we need to move more towards is a is a coaching culture. We need to have this constant method of um, questioning, 
and support for staff mm. where that curiosity piece really digs deep to understand their performance, what's motivating them, what's engaging them, where the appraisal process, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on this, mm-hmm. but in the main, it just becomes a tick box exercise that isn't meaningful. So a shift more towards a, a curious workplace would definitely increase performance. Yeah, I think, Sophie, what you just explained is quite fundamental and that just leaves me now wondering how on earth can we change the culture and then back to the culture when actually the whole system is built on this command and control and actually what we need to, you know, live full, meaningful life is the opposite, is the freedom, yeah. curiosity and play. How on earth are we going to resolve this? Yeah, <laughs> it's a tough one, isn't it? It's a very tough one. And there's, there's me, I, I, I've often thought this, I thought, Sophie, look, you can't change the world just by yourself. You're going to have to start a revolution. Yeah. But what is happening is there are a lot of organisations that are operating in this way already. Mm. And, you know, guess what? No surprise, they are the most um, successful businesses in their industry. Yeah. And so I think the more other organisations are taking a step back and saying, okay, so why is it that they've got the market share? What is it that they're doing differently? It may not necessarily be their product. It may be about their customer service and it may be about how they treat their staff Yep. which by default generates that higher customer base yep. and equally could generate a much better product in itself. So I kind of feel that <laughs> I'm not saying anything that yeah. revolutionary. There are lots of organisations out there behaving in this way. And I think yeah. the more other organisations cotton onto this and go, mm. oh, do you know what? They're doing that. Let's give this a try. Then I think you know, I'd, I'd like to think in 20 years time, this will be the way we'll all be operating. Yeah, hopefully. Finger crossed. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know consumer decision will drive that but equally employee decision will drive that as well because I think um, the workforce are now starting to to demand a very different set of requirements from work than what yeah we yeah years ago yeah, and it seems that the millennial and the Gen Z actually are driving this also forward. So yeah. hopefully we'll see that happen sometime soon. <laughs> Tell me, now let's talk about meaningful work and meaningful life more specifically. So what is your definition of meaningful work and meaningful life? Um, again, I think this um, meaningful work for me is, <laughs> is, when I, is when I'm doing something that I don't feel like I've done any work. I, 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 I'm in a state of flow. Mm, and I'm utilizing my skills to benefit somebody else. And it, it almost, in a, in a way, feels so good that money doesn't even come into it. You know, yeah. obviously I have to be paid in order yeah. to live. But I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it because it feels good. And I yeah. know that I'm making a difference. And I think that is what my definition of meaningful work is. Okay. So when did you realize who you are? <laughs> I, <don't laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I have friends. I think I'm still definitely on that path. This um, is a big question, I know. And is. what you are meant to do in life, if ever you have figured this out yet? Well, I, think I, have. I, think, I think the TED Talk really helps concrete that for me because um, when, you're, when you're writing a TED Talk and you know you're going to be on that yeah. stage mm-hmm. and on that on that platform um it makes you think a lot about yourself and your your own personal brand and what you stand for and what your personal mission is um and so I definitely say I've got a lot more clarity having gone through that process because I really feel 
quite passionately about the freedom, curiosity and play piece. And I think that's my <laughs> that's my calling, whether it's I think that's great. working on it in a in a parenting guise, mm-hmm. in an education guise or in a workplace guise. Um, I, I studied Montessori. I've got a diploma in it and I'm still studying it now. So even though I'm doing the workplace piece, I'm still drawing on my passion to try and figure out where these two things can fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think because I'm doing that, I'm, I'm definitely getting closer to, to finding what it is that I'm really supposed to be doing. <laughs> Do you also educate your, um, your daughter in uh, Montessori? Yes. So oh. my, daughter, my daughter was Montessori educated from the age of nine months up until five. Uh-huh. Um, unfortunately, there's no uh, Montessori schools near us. So she started um, in a um, primary school that wasn't Montessori. Mm. I deliberately chose to get my Montessori diploma. So that it means that I can continue okay. um, still using the Montessori methodology at home. Yeah. Um, but surprisingly, I, I speak about this to quite a few parents and I also talk about it to some of the teachers at her school. And they're all intrigued by it and they want to know more about it. So I'm hoping. Um, just by that very fact that um, people are kind of becoming more curious about Montessori, that things are starting to move and um, they'll understand when my daughter comes into school and she's approached something in a completely different way to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that if you've been educated in Montessori way and then you get yeah. to a normal school, they'll say, what's that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But then I hope they draw on that and they say, okay, that's a really interesting way that Mila's, Mila's worked out that, that, you know, that maths problem. Um, right. And they, they're kind of curious about that. And they dig deep to ask Mila, you know, why did you, why did you come to that conclusion? What, how did you get there? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I hope that will happen at least. Yeah, okay. So tell me, what is one of your toughest moments, you know, some of the toughest moments you encountered that actually ended up to be blessing in disguise? In my corporate career, mm-hmm. before I decided to start my own business, um, like I said to you, I was always looking for that. When is the right time? When is the right time to launch this business? When's when's going to be the right thing? And I took on a task um, that really made me realise how unhappy I was. And by enduring that, and I and I deliberately took it on, knowing it was going to make me. Unhappy. <laughs> you know, I'm up for a challenge. Let's see, let's see where this takes me and what learning comes from it. And it was quite significant for me because it really made me realise what I should be doing, what I did enjoy and exposing myself to something that I didn't think I was very good at, didn't enjoy doing um, and generally made me unhappy. And I, I persevered with that for quite some time, really helped me find clarity in terms of what I should be doing mm-hmm. and what does make me happy. Um, and it was really liberating when I made that decision to say, OK, I'm not doing this anymore. You know, even to this day now, it, it was it was an absolute blessing in disguise because I don't think I would have ever reached that clarity as quickly as I did had I not undertaken that part. Yeah, that's good. And when you look back at your childhood, how has it prepared you, or not, to be who you are today? Mm. The way you live life. Yeah, I mean, in my childhood, um, oh, <laughs> there's some funny stories I could share with you about my childhood, mm-hmm. but. I always showed some um, natural leadership tendencies. Mm-hmm. So I would go to my local girl guide group and um, I would ask whether I could lead one of the sessions. At the age of 11, I joined um, this youth action group in my area. And by the time I was 13, I was the chair of that particular group and was 
um, campaigning for um, an ethical code of conduct. We have a school. <laughs> <laughs> I was I um, produced a play that we toured around schools to educate children about drugs. Um, so I, I, I kind of realised from a relatively my early teens, I guess, that mm-hmm. I was I've got something to say, okay. <laughs> and I want to be part of a movement. Um, and yeah, I, I think my my upbringing with my my parents kind of given me the freedom to explore that and say, yeah, go on, go on then, so if you go, go do that and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely led me to kind of expand on that in my, in my 20s and now into my early 30s. That's great, yeah. So what is your superpower, Sophie? Um, I'm very skilled mm-hmm. at, um, I would say managing my time, but probably not, not in that way. I like to fill my time with something meaningful every day. Mm-hmm. And I feel like my superpower is actually making that happen because I do. <laughs> I look back of my evening, I have a gratitude journal and I look back ah. and I list the things that I've done, what's made me happy, what's been productive, what could I've maybe done differently. And most days I look back on that and I say, yeah, you've done some good today. You've progressed. You've done something for yourself. You've done something for others that has moved you or them forward. And um, I don't know if it's a superpower, but I certainly, I'm not somebody <laughs> that after a day's work um, sits down to relax with Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, how come you don't? My mind, my mind Netflix. <laughs> and so therefore I will say to myself, okay, you've got two hours there in the evening. How can you use this time to enrich yourself, to enrich the way you think? Um, what things can you do that might give you some new concepts or new ideas or make new networks and new connections? Um, I, I kind of feel like that's my superpower, but I don't, I don't really ever switch off. But it's, it's productive for me rather than it being detrimental. Mm, yeah, I get that. Um, so would you, do you do this gratitude journal every single day? I do. I do it in the morning for five minutes and in the evening. For five minutes. <laughs> I try to do them, but I kind of skip some days sometimes. But, you know, okay. I do. I do allow myself the occasional day off, hmm. um, <laughs> mainly when it's been a bad day. And I think I've just got nothing good to say today. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you, you're um, just right. I don't have anything. To yeah, say. no. <laughs> I would just rather just skip that page altogether. <laughs> but no, in, in general, I've now got into a habit now. It's now... Wow. now kind of become the first thing that I do before I start my day and it's the last thing that I do before. I think I shall go back to it as well so mm. I should definitely go back I know how useful it is and uh, mm. yeah, very practical um, you know inspiring as well and to reflect back on what you're doing um, so for anybody actually who is listening uh, who don't have any meaningful work today mm. how can they transition from a mundane job to find something meaningful to do I think this is all about um, understanding what I call your your personal brand. Mm. So understanding what you stand for, what are your values, what what drives you in life. Mm -hmm. And if you can come up with three or four key words that kind of sum up who you are and Mm. what you're about, um, you might then start to be able to draw some parallels between some things that you might find interesting that might become um, not maybe at that stage necessarily a career path for you, but for you to maybe start exploring in a bit more detail, maybe 
maybe do a course, maybe join a local group in that particular area, maybe read a book about something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's about expanding your mind. Um, there's a great book that I've been um, reading by Sir Ken Robinson, who did probably one of the greatest TED Talks there are. Mm-hmm. Um, his book called The Element um, is really, really helpful for anybody who's in that particular position because there's lots and lots of questions and lots of exercises to kind of help you dig deep mm. in finding your element. And I think, I think the element and the, the meaningful work both have a very, very similar definition. Okay, yeah, no, that's good. Okay, now it's time to talk money, Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes, actually, you may want to do what you are passionate to do, but, you know, the money doesn't come with that. How can you consider, you know make both happen at the same time Mm -mm. um i think it's about um hustling (laughs) so having the day job yeah that that pays pays the bills and yeah maybe you're not um happy in that particular role Mm. Um, and maybe in the meantime you can find something that might make you slightly happier but i think in your spare time Mm -hmm. it's then about deciding okay do i want to do something different if i do then I'm going to do my day job and then I'm going to study midwifery in the evening or I'm going to do a part-time course in sports science or I'm going to train to be a yoga teacher. Um, and I think I think it's about you still maintaining that income mm-hmm. and taking on something that becomes more than a hobby. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this more from a business perspective, I guess, because that's how, kind of how I fell into what I'm doing mm-hmm. um, because I took... I took the time that I had in my spare time to figure out how I then run a business Mm. so that when I then decided to leave the corporate world, I knew exactly what I was doing and I could just go off and do it. And I think that's something similar here, that um, if you're finding yourself not in that position where you do find you're having meaningful work, then use your spare time to find that path, work on it to the point where the balance almost tips and you think, okay, I think I've got enough confidence now and enough courage to step out into the big, bold world with this and and walk away from paid work that you're so used to. Yeah, that's great practical uh, advice. So uh, we are coming to the last section of our conversation, which is building a movement. Um, And I love the saying, don't start a company, start a movement. What do you think about that? Are you actually in your work or what you're doing, trying to start a movement or a company or both? (laughs) Absolutely a movement. Um, There are lots lots of great people out there and organisations that are saying similar things to me in very different different spaces. And I would love it if we could all come together and join, (laughs) maybe make a bit of a coalition (laughs) and um, collaborate together to kind of, make a greater voice about some of this stuff mm. I, I truly believe the world of work has got to change it's mm. got um it's got to move on from where we are this dictatorial way of working is not healthy mm-hmm. um, we're in this position now where we've got the highest levels of stress and mental health within the workplace mm. and by making that shift very incrementally, I'm not talking about ripping the band-aid off automatically, but making some very small shifts in the way that we work could ultimately um, change the way all of us live our lives and for the better. So I think that comes from a movement mm-hmm. rather than a company. 
because yeah. um yes I, I have a company because I have to pay the bills and this is my profession mm. but it's not about being remunerated it's about the difference that I can make to the world and I think that's where you know you're in the movement space rather than in a company just to make profit <laughs> yeah which just leads me naturally to this new question how do you want to be remembered Ah, okay. I want to be remembered for, I mean, I, I feel very passionately about um, the Montessori way of working. Mm. And I would love to be remembered for making, not Montessori itself, but the principles of Montessori, yeah. you know, freedom, curiosity and play. Yep. Um, and there's some big areas of respect in there and compassion for the world. Um, but bringing that, bringing that to the fore, because mm. Maria Montessori died um in 1951 she can't speak for herself anymore so I would love to be that person that is remembered for putting these fundamental things back um, in the world getting people thinking about them and, and moving on them so I feel like I've partly done that a little yeah, bit I think I think that's how I spotted you because um, I linked to you I was thinking oh the woman from the Montessori talk actually I can't remember what you were talking about <laughs> but I remember that you were talking about Montessori I think that is a great way actually and a great mm. movement actually mm-hmm. we can yeah. live uh, with those three principles yeah. so I, I would I would like I would love to revolutionize the way <laughs> Good, 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 good. (laughs) So tell me, if you have to relive life again, knowing what you know now, Mm. what would you do and what would you no longer do? I don't know because I feel like everything that I have experienced, both personally and professionally, has led me to being here right now. Mm. And I feel like going back and doing any of that differently may send me a completely different yes. <laughs> different course um I don't I don't know Francie I don't think there is anything that would be I've had some massive massive highs and some massive lows in my life but I mm. think they have shaped who I am and what I've got to say mm. and I wouldn't want to feel right now that any of that was was missing from me so yeah, yeah that is a great great wisdom actually. yeah <laughs> So now, can you share some resource with our listeners um, uh, that they should absolutely know about, um, you know, to live a more meaningful work and meaningful life? Mm -hmm. So when um, I found myself a little bit stuck in a rut, um, referring back to the situation um, about, you know, taking on a challenge and having kind of an epiphany moment, Mm -hmm. um, I started following a lady called Susie Moore. And I bought her book called um, So What If It Does Work Out? And it was all about kind of finding your your passion, finding finding the thing that sets you alight and then how you go about creating a side hustle for that so eventually you could move away from one position to being into another. So anybody that's in that position, um, Susie Moore is a great person to follow on social media and her book. How do you spell her last name? More is M-O-O-R-E. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the other resource, mm-hmm. um, which I think is absolutely fabulous, um, is an app called Blinkist. Oh. How and do you spell that, Blinkist? Blinkist. It's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Yeah. Okay. And the app summarises... Um, key books from over over 2000 different books in 15 minutes whoa so either read a 15 minute overview of the book 
or you can listen to somebody reading out the overview. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I have found is one that I've been listening to topics that would never have normally interested me and gone, wow, I didn't realize that was such a key thing for me. And I've gone away and bought the full. The like what? <laughs> there's so many different topics that come up. You can, you can become quite well-rounded in a various different array of, of, of things. Um, and they've also got um, a podcast called okay. Spotify that accompanies the app. And so I think just from a personal development perspective yeah. um, and helping you find what interests you and what you might have to say about certain things, mm. that app has certainly helped me concrete where I sit in terms of various different topics that have been raised. That, that's great. So how can people reach you and learn more about you and your work then? Okay. So first off, my TED Talk is a, is a great, great place to stop. Um, so obviously my name is Sophie Bryan. You can find me um, just by searching my name or searching for Montessori um, or Montessori in the workplace. The TED Talk is called Could, uh, Could Montessori Make the Workplace a Better Place? Um, my website, um, my organisation is called Ordinarily Different. So you can find me at www.ordinarilydifferent.co.uk or you could drop me an email at hello at ordinarylydifferent.co.uk. Um, and I'm on um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and LinkedIn as well. So come find me, hang out with me, um, give me your feedback on what you've heard today. It would be, be great to hear what people think about what I've had to say. Good. That's awesome, Sophie. Thank you so much for your Thank time you. and sharing your wisdom. Thank it's you very much, Francine. The show notes of this episode of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life are available on my webpage, francinebelly.com slash podcast, F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash podcast, with all the references and resources shared by Sophie. Whilst you are there, leave a message in the comment section and let me know about your key takeaway from this episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to show your love and support, subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app where you are listening to this podcast and leave me a five-star review. It will take you a minute, but it will mean a lot to me and help me know that it's serving people out there. See you next week for a brand new episode. Until then, dream, act, and make an impact. Lots of love.